This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's future award-winning Moranalytics podcast, episode 193, I have WKBW TV Channel 7 Buffalo sports reporter Adam Unger. He's going to be my guest today. Adam, and I didn't know this, by the way, until just minutes before we started chatting, just 22 years old, his professional career, literally just getting started. We have a lengthy chat. We talk about him growing up in Erie, Pennsylvania, going to college in Syracuse, a few things that ultimately led him to get in the job at Channel 7 in Buffalo. We hit on how Adam's life's been just making Buffalo his home, little Sabres talk, of course, little Wings talk, good conversation with a guy. Again, just getting his career rolling in Buffalo. A real good chance for fans out there listening. A chance to learn more about him. Fun guy. Certainly doesn't lack in the dialogue department. That's for sure. Also, besides that, on Twitter Wednesday night, I dropped, and this was unadvertised, no pre-hype. Dropped my winter and spring chicken wing rankings up to 67 spots now. And including for the first time since doing these, I teared them in the seven different groups I dropped it again on Twitter Wednesday night, like kind of like a, a Beyonce album out of nowhere. And the feedback, overwhelming, huge. Kind of funny because when I do sports stuff on Twitter, it's like, man, no one really cares that much. But when I do chicken wing stuff, people just really uh, read into it and have an opinion, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Feedback again, real huge. A lot of fun. I'll hit on that too in just a minute. Before that, I want to let you know that today's episode is being supported by Audimute. For nearly two decades, Audimute has set the standard for providing cutting-edge acoustic treatments for recording and sound environments. From your home studio to commercial settings such as the office, restaurants, gyms, and auditoriums, Audimute is the best sound treatment company out there, bar none, and that's because they refuse to compromise on the quality of their products and service ever. Easy green and affordable my home studio has audio acoustic panels and the difference has been literally remarkable like night and day look don't just throw up foam on your walls that you can get real cheap from amazon decide it looks pretty and call it a day it may look the part but it's not going to help the quality of your sound go visit audiomute.com for info and deals including a free room analysis form and the ability to speak with an acoustic specialist do your sound. Do the people who hear it a very big service. Go visit Audimute.com. And on that note, let's do the pod. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, everyone. What's going on? How you doing? What's up? Episode 193, Moranalytics Podcast. 
Thank you, as always, for continuing to download and listen to the pod. Really appreciate your support. Happy Friday to everyone out there listening. Like I said at the top, coming up in just a couple minutes, I'm going to have a chat with Adam Unger, Channel 7 Buffalo sports reporter, just 22 years old, almost fresh out of college, already doing this for a living. So cool, man. Uh, Really talented young man, too. I mean, God, 22. He might be, if he's not the youngest person I know in the Buffalo mainstream sports media right now, he's certainly among them. And he's killing it. Doing really good. Good conversation. I'll have that for you again in just a minute. I also said at the top, I got to talk about this for a few minutes. On Wednesday night on Twitter, I dropped my latest chicken wing power rankings. This is something I've been doing for a couple of years now. I moved to Florida, what, in 2016. Started going to as many wing spots in Buffalo as possible every time I come back. I come back a handful of times a year and uh, power ranking them. So I did my latest, the winter slash spring 2020 chicken wing power ranking, 67 spots. Pretty cool too, because I did on Twitter. Usually I like to hype up or advertise, promote all the shit that I'm about to do on Twitter or, you know, on this podcast or any post that I put out there. I did this out of the clear blue, dropped it like a Beyonce album out of nowhere, man. Really cool. But, uh, it was fun to do. And I also added a wrinkle too, for the first time, by the way, I've always power ranked them one by 67. And I still did that here too, but I added a wrinkle this time. I added tiers, groups to these, in fact, seven of them. And I did that for this reason. So many wings in Buffalo are good that if you rank 120 and you rank another one at 30, that sounds like such a big difference, but the reality is quite often those wings are almost, if not completely equally as good. So I figured by adding tiers beyond just number numerical rankings that people would be able to understand that I think that this group of wings is that they all belong in the same group. So anyway, I kind of added, uh, so I did seven, obviously the Mount Rushmore of wings. There's four of them that speaks for itself. I called those my Jim Kelly, Bruce Smith, Thurman, and Andre Reed of chicken wings. So I got four of those next group I did next tier was the elite wings. And I, uh, described them as the Joe DeLamalier, the Daryl Talley, the Cornelius Bennett of wings. And I got five wing spots in that group. So that was two. Then just below that, I have all pro wings. That's another tier. And I described that as Tredavious White, Nate Odoms, the Reuben Brown of wings in Western New York. And there's 11 spots there. After that, next tier was solid starters. And I described that as Cole Beasley and Ted Washington and Jim Hazlitt of wings in Western New York. And I got 12 of those. Next tier down, I have depth chart wings. And I described those as the Kenneth Davis, the Spencer Long, the Frank Reich of Wings in Western New York. 11 different wing spots there. Second from the bottom, I have roster bubble wings. The Jason Kroom, the Eddie Yarbrough of Wings in Western New York. And I have 10. And then last but not least, I have waiver wire wings, which those are places where, honestly, I prefer to eat pizza at that point. And I have 14 of those. So. So all in all, 67 spots and counting. I've had a lot of feedback, most of it good. Some people agree, some don't, which is cool. And a lot of suggestions for new places, which hopefully I'll be in Buffalo again over the spring. I certainly plan on 
adding to that. But anyway, go on Twitter. It's probably going to be pinned right to the top of my page at Pat Moran Tweets, or you can see it pinned right to the top of my blog, moranalytics.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Go check it out. If you live in the Buffalo area, if you've had any of these wing spots, go see where your favorites are ranked. Let me know what you think. Fun exercise. And, and, and that's exactly what it is. I do it for fun. I don't take it serious. And neither should you. Some people do. But most people appreciate the, uh, the time, the effort, the money, and the stomach aches that I get from having all these wing spots. But anyway, go check that out. But getting back to today's episode, I don't want to take away from Adam here. Really good, fun interview with Adam. In fact, here it is right now in my chat with Channel 7 Buffalo sports reporter, Adam Unger. All right, my guest today is a sports reporter at WKBW-TV, Channel 7 in Buffalo. It's about seven months into his job, doing really good at it, too. Adam Unger, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on the podcast. How you doing, Adam? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm good. I am great. Glad to have you on. Now, you're one of the younger sports journalists in Buffalo that I've had an opportunity to talk to in quite a while. Just at 22 years old, correct? Yeah. Yep. That's awesome, man. I, you know, I kind of feel like maybe this podcast someday will go in the archives and... 20 years down the road when you're a two-decade veteran of uh, a sports journalism. People will go back and hear this interview when you were just getting started. Uh, really cool stuff. But I kind of want to keep it like on the same level that I have when I have sports media people on the podcast. And that's just giving fans an opportunity to know more about you. And I kind of want to go sure. back all the way to the start from that. So you're born in Secaucus, New Jersey, right? But you actually grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, correct? Yeah, I don't have a single, single memory from North Jersey. Both my parents were working in New York City at the time. My mom stepped away from work once I was born. I'm an only child. And uh, we moved to Erie, just the two of them and me, about a month before my second birthday. So all my memories uh, all come from, you know, the same house, same two parents in Erie, Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it was – it, it's small and, you know, maybe there's not a whole lot to do once you get to the age where you can, you know, drive your buddies around in your first car and whatnot. But it's it's always home and it's always someplace that I look back, look back really fondly on. And I'm also really, really grateful to have gotten to, you know, kind of grow up and kind of come up with all the same kids in the same school, in one house, in one place for my entire childhood. Sure. Now, Airy, Pennsylvania, is somebody who I live in Florida now, but I've spent, I was born and raised in Buffalo, spent most of my life there. When I think of Erie, the first thing I think of is people from Buffalo would drive to Erie because you could get Chick-fil-A there, correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's now you could get it in Buffalo, but up until then, that's what I remember most about Erie. What was it like growing up for you in a town like Erie? Um, well, it was cold, sure. but, uh, but, but, but Buffalo natives are, are plenty used to that. You know, it was just like, I, I describe it as a small city instead of a big town, if that makes sense, because it had its own, it had its own, you know, theater, it had its own sports teams. We have the Erie Otters who uh, I'm sure are a little infamous in a way as the, as the OHL team for Connor McDavid before, uh, before the robbery of the 2015 NHL entry uh, draft lottery. But, um, and you have the Erie Seawolves, the double A baseball team. Uh, they're an affiliate of the Detroit Tigers. So it's something where it's a small city instead of a big town. So sometimes it's nice to be able to have, have that kind of city feel because it's, it's its own entity. My grandpa 
at the time uh, when my mom was growing up, right? My mom's side of the family is from Erie. He would say, oh, Erie's just a suburb of Buffalo because he would have to travel back and forth to meet with clients in Buffalo all the time. But I would, I would say that Erie is a small city instead of a big town because it offers enough of its own kind of entity. Um, and then uh, friends from Syracuse, right, going to Syracuse University. Uh, I, I kind of started this narrative myself, too, because we, we have about as much of a strong Tim Hortons uh, presence as Buffalo does. Uh, but because that's kind of uncommon compared to, say, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Philadelphia, New York City, places like that, I would tell people, oh, yeah, Erie's practically Canada because it's quicker across the water to get to Ontario than it is to get to Buffalo, Pittsburgh, or Cleveland by car. Oh, wow. Um, so, so it's something where a lot of different influences kind of, kind of come into it, and I almost kind of think of it as like the gateway from like the northeast and the mid-Atlantic into the Midwest since ninety. Right once it stops being the throughway, crosses through Erie for like a half hour, and then you're out on the other side of it, and you're in Ohio. Hmm. Um, but but it, but it's its own small city. It's not a big town. I grew up in a suburb called Mill Creek that uh, that kind of wrapped around the actual city of Erie. But the post address is still Erie, Pennsylvania. Like there's no Mill Creek, Pennsylvania post address. It's it's Erie. It's just kind of the township that kind of wraps around, and that kind of dedicated my my school district too. Now, you mentioned a couple of the local sports teams there. What were a couple of the professional sports teams? I'm sure you were into sports as a kid. So when you were younger, what were a couple of the professional sports teams and more specifically a couple of players that you really liked growing up, as a, especially as a young kid? <laughs> uh, so my, my favorite teams personally are, are a little bit all over the map. I grew up in a divided household for, for football. Okay. Uh, where my dad was a Philadelphia Eagles fan because he's uh, from the Philadelphia area from a place called Reading, and my mom actually grew up in Williamsville before before coming to Erie. So, oh, okay. A Bills fan. Uh, so is that entire side. My mom's side of the family all Bills. My dad's side of the family all Eagles. Uh, little two and a half, three year old Adam. I can't remember how old it was. I wish this was a cooler story, uh, but uh, my favorite color was orange. My favorite animal at the time was a tiger. My dad sits me down in front of an Eagles Bengals game. And I was obsessed with those helmets at like three <laughs> years old. So I, I, so I put myself through the entire Carson Palmer era, uh, now through the entire Andy Dalton era as well, um, which looks like it might be coming to an end. I have my fingers crossed on Joe Burrow. Um, but that's, but that's where the Cincinnati influence stops. Uh, having been born in, uh, in North Jersey, right? My parents in New York city, uh, the team that they decided to share together, start rooting for together, once they both moved in together in NYC, was the New York Rangers. They were in the building for the 94 Stanley Cup. So, oh, wow. I, so I'm a complete blue shirt as far as hockey goes. And then by association through that, I'm also a Knicks fan, which is even more painful than being a Bengals fan right now. Yeah. Um, and then baseball was the one where uh, my dad was able to exert a little bit of influence on me. I think the first Phillies game he took me to was 2007. Uh, and then the next year, obviously a huge year for the Phillies. Uh, since then, not as great. And I, I've kind of gravitated away from baseball overall as a sport. Um, so that's kind of what I follow the least. But I identify myself as a Phillies fan. Well, I'll tell you, when it comes to, I'm a, I'm a fellow Knicks fan, so I feel your pain when it comes to the Knicks, just, you yeah. know, perennially being terrible. 
terms of the Bengals, I actually think that's cool and funny that you like a team because of their colors or an animal. I'm not sure if you know this, but Pancho Bilio, you know, obviously one of the most famous Bills fans ever who, who passed away recently. He became a Buffalo yeah. Bills fan for the same reason. He lived in Texas and he his dad told him to pick a team and he liked the colors of the Bills. And because of that reason alone is why he became a Buffalo Bills fan for all those years. That's how he became a fan to begin with. Kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously you became a sportscaster currently, but you know, that had to start somewhere. And for you, do you remember when you first became attracted to sports journalism? I've had so many people on the show and the stories vary. A lot of times people knew when they were young kids that this was what they wanted to do. Sometimes it was high school. Sometimes it was college. Sometimes it wasn't even until after school where they really became attracted to the field and decided that it was something that they wanted to do. Do you remember when, like when did that bug first bite you a little bit saying, Hey man, this is something I can see myself doing when I get older. So it was something that kind of came in bits and pieces for me, right? It started uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, right? Sitting on the floor of my mom's little uh, home office slash guest room. And she would run through the 31, right? Because I was three, four years old. So the Houston Texans weren't a team yet. You already said I'm 22. So if this is, you know, dating me, then, then so be it. But that's, that's not a bad thing at all. Anyway, right. so the 31 NFL teams run through it. She would cover up the name and just show me the helmet or the logo and quiz me. And by four years old, I could run through all 31 NFL teams uh, just by the helmet and the logo. So the sports interest was always, always there from a really, really young age. And that was really fostered by, by my parents. Um, and then in second grade, I had a teacher, Mrs. Pora, who I'm still friends with on Facebook now. Uh, she would let me and a couple of my buddies, but I really kind of ran point on it in hindsight, uh, write our own. Granted, they were fictional of, you know, Adam and Josh and John and Craig going on these, you know, wild adventures and a volcano and save the day, like all that stuff that you would imagine in second grade. But we were allowed to write those and then turn back around and read them to the class. And that was, I think, kind of where, you know, writing and kind of public speaking kind of came into the fold for me. And then it was around fourth or fifth grade, right, where I realized, hey, this can actually be be a thing. And at that point, I was already watching Neon Stand every morning before my mom would, you know, take me to the bus stop, put me on the bus to school. That was when they were mornings, not not the late, late crew uh, for ESPN. So it was something that I kind of realized that in, like, you know, fourth or fifth grade where, you know, all my friends wanted to be, you know, firemen or astronauts. But I, I feel like I kind of, like, stayed the course, right, from maybe nine, ten years old all the way up wanting to go into sports journalism in some capacity. And it, and it waxed and waned a little bit. I did some writing internships. I thought maybe play-by-play was going to be the way to go. But uh, in, in terms of being an MMJ and building myself up towards that, I would say that didn't really happen for me until until like my sophomore year of college when I really got to feel what it's like to kind of have the camera in my hands and really kind of hone my skills at that and kind of appreciate you know that side of things too. But as far as sports journalism goes, I would say I was probably about like nine, 10 years old. Do you ever remember being a kid doing like phony sports cast? A lot of people do a lot of people, sports media people I've had on. They would be in front of the mirror or just wherever, pretending that watching ESPN and pretending that they're that person and doing their own little mini sports cast, whether it was out loud or at least in your head. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, my dad hated John Madden, so anytime the Eagles were on Sunday Night Football when I was a kid, he would meet the TV and make me call the game instead. 
So I so there was a point where he would do that right before John Madden stepped away from color commentary, where I actually probably knew the Eagles better than the Bengals because I kind of had it circled on my calendar. Okay, I'm allowed to stay up like an hour and a half past my bedtime. My dad wants me on the call for the Eagles-Giants game. I'm going to be sitting in the man cave with them. I need to be ready to go. Um, so, so, so that was always a big one for me whenever the Eagles were on SNF when I was a little kid. Uh, and the other thing that I would do, uh, which, which is a, a little embarrassing, but it was more so the imagination aspect is I would have my own like custom leagues. I would have like a custom NFL developmental league and I would play all of this out in like Madden 09, uh, with like 16 custom teams and the roster made up of like a mix of like NFL backups and made up players and former college players and stuff like that. And I would, you know, call my parents on their cell phone from the home phone and call play-by-play on the muted television as I was sitting there twiddling my thumbs on Madden 09 with, like, the uh, the Erie Battlehawks and, like, the Orlando... I can't even remember what they, what they were, but, like, it, I, that was something that I would do, and I would have, like, you know, stat packs. I would, like, write game summaries and make up, like, quotes that the players are saying and stuff like that. So it was something that was also kind of a creative outlet for me too as I got to do those those mock sort of things. I based it all like in video games instead of necessarily, you know, doing it in real time because I watching Neon Stan, that was kind of where I wanted to, you know, develop those punchlines. And then when it really came to life was when uh when the Eagles would play on Sunday night football and my dad could not stand John Madden. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's really creative. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Former Channel 7 sports director, Joe Biscaglia, I remember him telling stories about when he was a kid doing stuff that was kind of like similar to that. So I got to ask you this. I ask all sports media guests the same question. You went to Syracuse because, of course, you did. Why did you go there? And were there other schools that you considered going to? No, I do know that both your parents went there. I read that. Obviously, I'm sure that played a factor. And I'm sure that you're aware of people like Sal Capaccio and Jeremy White and Tyler Dunn, countless other local as well as national media people that went to Syracuse as well. Why'd you go there? So just within Buffalo, the only one that I've really crossed paths with a ton and kind of know about that connection with is Sal. Um, but uh, it, my parents both going there definitely kind of played a factor because um, uh, they actually, and I actually wasn't in town the last, the last couple of days for this weekend is my parents do an annual football and basketball weekend where they go back, all of their friends come in, their friends bring their kids. And it's, you know, so fun. So this is, this was my first time being back at that, back at that as an alum, but they started taking, you know, like a Syracuse football game and a Syracuse basketball game a year when I was like 13, 14 years old. Uh, So I already knew the campus. I already knew who I was, knew who I was looking up to in terms of, you know, Bob Costas, Mike Tirico, Ian Eagle. I ended up going to, Syracuse with his son all four years. His son Noah is now the radio voice of the LA Clippers. Like, oh, wow. So, so it's just something that, you know, kind of all signs kind of pointed me there because of how much I bled orange, you know, growing up watching my dad, you know, yell at TV through like Carmelo Anthony, Jerry McNamara. You know, you think about, you know, the Powell brothers, right? And lacrosse all the way up to, you know, Jordan Evans having 22 up until I got there. Uh, like my freshman year, I think he still had 22. And for football, you know, Ryan Nassib, Doug Marone, even even like the painful days, right, of, of Robinson and everything in between. I grew up watching all of that, right, Wanting, having wanted to be a sports journalist for near a decade at this point. 
my parents were trying to get me to look at other schools. Like, are you kidding me? Seriously? <laughs> yeah, wait, why? <laughs> <laughs> because they thought that they were kind of putting a little bit of pressure on me uh, to go there. Sure. And they, so they were like, apply to other schools. Let's look at other schools. So there was a couple days, I think, uh, my junior year of high school that uh, me and my dad went on a little tour. Um, you know, saw a couple family friends along the way as well. Uh, and we saw Ohio State, uh, which I have. I went to a summer camp in Chardon, Ohio. I have a lot of friends who went to Ohio State, but I just did not like it there. I distinctly remember looking at my dad and saying, nope, I'm not even going to apply. As we were on the road to Bowling Green, uh, which I did apply to and did get into. Now, uh, Doc Emmerich, who I am I am not his biggest fan necessarily. Um, maybe a part of that is the Rangers fan kind of detecting a little bit of devil's bias with him sometimes. But uh, I know Doc Emmerich went to Bowling Green, so that was one kind of sports broadcasting legacy there. I actually got in there before I got into Syracuse, but I was obviously holding out to bleed orange. Right. And then the last stop was, was Northwestern, which I, which, which Northwestern tabs quite a robust, right. Sports broadcaster list as well. Yeah. So that was something that, you know, I said to myself, if I don't get into Newhouse, right. And I get into Medill, then I really have some thinking to do, but if I didn't get into Newhouse or Medill, I would have been more willing to go to Syracuse just as like undecided and try to transfer into the communication school than to go anywhere else. Um, and, my, and my parents do that. And I told my parents, listen, I'm applying to Syracuse early decision, which if they accept me, binds me to going. Yeah. And they sat me down. They're like, you're sure about this? Yes, I'm sure about this. I wanted to go into this since I was nine. You've been taking me to games since I was 14. Orange is my favorite color since I was like two. What, what, what more of a perfect storm could this be for me? Yeah. <laughs> like, so it, so it, it, was, it was a number of factors. But it, it was a combination of, you know, kind of knowledge of the campus through my parents, through all my family friends from when they were in school, right, going to games, and then also the robust amount of sports broadcasters, sports journalists in general, right, that they have kind of to their name. Before we get to WKBW, your current job, just spend a couple of minutes talking about some of the stuff that you've done before that, whether it was stuff at school. I know you had an internship at a station in Ohio. How Talk, just speak a little bit how that helped you hone your craft a little bit. As again, you're getting started in your career now, but even before you got to Channel 7, you're working at it to, to get better. And my dad always says, put in the work, right? He, he even told me that uh, when we said goodbye on, on Sunday morning of the Super Bowl before I drove back to Buffalo from Syracuse. He always just says, you know, put in the work. So that was something that I always kind of intended on doing. And something that really kind of put Syracuse over the top was the amount of different kind of student media outlets that there were for me to kind of, for me to try and for me to, hone my craft and get to do all these sorts of different things. So a lot of, a lot of my foundation actually came from, from Citrus TV, the student television station in Syracuse. And I, and I talk about it like it's like, it's my previous station, even though it's not. Um, but, but it's something where, you know, I made the best of friends there. Uh, I have friends who I was on air with for like five semesters straight. Cause every semester is like a new on air cycle where everybody has to retry out. They had me and, uh, 
my friend Zach together on from our second semester of sophomore year, right? His first semester on air all the way up to being second semester seniors and anchoring kind of the, the headline like sports center type show uh, for them, which, which was a really cool kind of, kind of growth process for the two of us. But then in the summers, right, you mentioned uh, Spectrum Sports Ohio, which was an all sports channel, but uh, has since turned into uh, Spectrum News One. They were actually going through that process when I went back to uh, to visit them when I was covering Syracuse, Ohio State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, about a year and change ago, right? It would have been, yeah, it would have been November of 2018 in my senior year. Um, so what I got out of that was kind of just getting to see, you know, how a network, you know, truly runs. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I say this about college is that time can kind of freeze for you a little bit. You know, capstones, classes, your professors say, oh, you know, it's like a, like a midnight deadline or, you know, you have to be everything done at 4 p.m., you know, whatever it is. But at the same time, how long do you really have to kind of build yourself up for that one assignment that's due at midnight, that's due at 4 p.m.? You right. know what I'm saying? Sure. Where, where it's something where I can't really think about the story that I'm doing tomorrow because I'm still working on the story that I'm doing today, whereas everything just moved so much faster. And Spectrum Sports Ohio, uh, even though live trucks and, you know, live production of games and, you know, logging oodles and oodles of Columbus crew, uh, SC uh, soccer melts, right, and Columbus Clippers baseball games, you know, so and so much logging in that regard wasn't necessarily – necessarily where I wanted to go. It, it, it brought some cool experiences too. I got to go shoot video at Cincinnati Bengals training camp as like a 20 year old intern. Yeah. Um, and I got to go to Kentucky Speedway and do like a fake fan experience package about Kentucky Motor Speedway for the races that weekend. Cause I think that was probably only like two and a half, three hours away from the station. Um, so it was something that really kind of gave me my first taste of just how fast these things go and how much it takes to really stay on the air 24 hours a day, uh, which is something that I'm incredibly thankful for. And same goes for the, uh, for the connections there because the connections that I made at Spectrum Sports Ohio were instrumental in both, you know, references to get me to land here in Buffalo and, for tips and tricks for my resume reel and my hosting, anchoring, reporting, all of that stuff. Uh, I, I really did learn a lot there, and I'm really, really thankful for the opportunity. That was also my first time in an apartment on my own, so that was my first time, you know, having to, like, really cook and clean, like, just, like, just me, like, my own space, you know what I'm saying? I was always either in, like, a dorm or, like, in right. a college apartment with like a couple buddies or, you know, under my parents' roof. That was my first time doing that too. So that was a huge, huge summer of just learning for me across the board, both in the industry and out of it. Let's take a quick break. Want to let you know today's episode is being supported by Sounds Assured. So look, it seems that everyone out there has a podcast today. I spent a lot of time listening to them and the biggest mistake that I hear, I can almost instantly tell in fact, almost all the time, many people make this mistake. You go out, spend all your money on fancy microphones and boom arms, interfaces, recording devices, headphones, all the bells and whistles. But here's the problem. You get all this stuff and you don't treat your recording environment. I'm talking about mainly your walls, your ceiling, the result. 
despite all the money you spent, all the stuff you got, the audio still sounds like crap. Listen, you need to invest in acoustic treatments. You got to make the gear that you spend your hard-earned money on thrive. Sounds assured is top-notch acoustic foam. I know this because I personally have some of my own home studio furnished by Sounds Assured. It's available in multiple sizes with very reasonably priced. And this is the most important thing. Excellent quality. It's actually good stuff. You can go on Amazon and get the cheapest stuff out there. And trust me, I've done it too. It might look the part, but it doesn't work. Sounds Assured definitely does. Again, folks, invest in your audio the right way. Visit SoundsAssured.com. In fact, give them a call. Someone will be more than happy to discuss your needs with you. As a bonus, use promo code Moran10. You'll get 10% off any order. Do yourself, do your podcast, do your audio production a very big favor. Go check out SoundsAssured.com. Tell us how the opportunity came about for you to join WKBW. Got hired in June of this past year. How did that play out? What was the process like? And was it an easy decision for you to take that job? Oh, it was it was absolutely a no brainer, and the timetable that uh, that was needed from me to accept the job was uh, was was pretty quick. Uh, but I said, you know, you know what, just hang on, you know, let me call my parents and I'll get right back to you. Because at that point, you know, the adrenaline was flowing. I still remember I was uh, on the phone with Aaron, our assistant news director, uh, in my living room in my senior year apartment at Syracuse. And I was literally jumping up and down like the people below me must have hated me. <laughs> um, but it was something where I tried my mom's cell phone. My mom didn't pick up. Tried my dad's. He didn't pick up. Tried my mom again. She didn't pick up. Tried the house phone. No one was home. Uh, so I so that was when I called my girlfriend and I told her that I got it. And she was, you know, over the moon for me, too. We, we were so excited. She was like, oh, my God, you know, that's not like. And then, you know, my phone starts, you know, ringing back at me, and it's, uh, and it's my dad's cell phone. And I had left both of them a voicemail at that point, so he heard the voicemail. He knew what was happening. I said, hey, I got to take this. It's my dad. Uh, I love you. Bye. So hang up. Take my dad. Uh, it's my dad, my mom, and some financial advisors. They were in, you know, like, like, a, like a bank meeting, right? Uh, so that was why neither of them picked up. But they both saw it. They had a voicemail from me, and... I think the phrasing that my dad used was you should have taken it like five minutes ago when you were originally on the phone with them. (laughs) Um, And I, and I originally found out pretty early. It was a part of a, it was a part of a process where I didn't even have to come to Buffalo. They were in Syracuse uh, for that, for that portion of, of the interviews. Uh, and the and the other exciting thing about it was a bunch of my peers from Syracuse who are all news MMJs at KVW, right? Um, I, I've known all of them, you know, for four years. Even people who are and, and as I get into the news, I like you know a couple names might get lost here, but I've known Nikki Dementry for four years since she was a sophomore and I was a freshman at Syracuse. I've known. A lot since about a week since we moved in. Me and Taylor Epps had the same capstone together. So, uh, oh, me and Jenny Johnson lived on the same floor freshman year. So it was also a really, really unique opportunity to be in a newsroom with with so many familiar faces. Sure, uh, that, that that just kind of brought another element and another layer of of excitement to it. And um, 
And, and I think another thing was that I, I knew it was kind of going to be kind of a balance of, of bills and sabers versus, versus high school and college. And that was something that, that dichotomy was also something that, that kind of drew me in uh, just because it's more learning experience. But at the same time, you know, it's an NFL team and an NHL team and division one college right out of school. Right. That honestly for me partially was a little bit of kind of just being in the right place and the right age at the right time. Um, but then also having that kind of fall into my lap, right. Hour and 45 minutes away from home, like two and a half hours away from my alma mater, uh, in a town where, I still have some cousins. I still have some distant relatives uh, in, in a market where, like I said, my mom and my aunt had grown up in Williamsville for a couple of years. Like, how how do you say no? Yeah, I hear you, man. How's it been like working at Channel 7 with people like Matthew Beauvais and Jenna Clary? I've had them both on the pod before. And like I said, they're great people, really good sports reporters. How have they helped you early on in your career so far? Beauvais is straight up and i think a lot of people share this opinion he is one of the nicest people that i have ever met in my entire life absolutely um so coming in i actually for that first month up until bill's training camp joe was still there too yeah so that was uh that was honestly a really great kind of transitional process and then my my first time really running both the evening and the late news by myself was actually uh, Beauvais wedding on, I think it was July 13th. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then Joe, uh, was at the wedding. Jenna was at the wedding. Yep. Beauvais was obviously getting married. Um, so that left me <laughs> to do it, to, to run it all by myself. So that was kind of what was, was what that scary? Was that scary? Huh? Was that scary at all? Um, it, it, it was, it was still a little daunting at that point. Yeah. Uh, just because, you know, and, and, and I say this to my friends who are a year or two behind me um, as well, who, you know, I tell them about my workflow and, you know, uh, their jaws hit the floor. But it's, a, it's like a sport. It's an instrument. You know what I mean? Michael Jordan was not the best as soon as he picked up a basketball. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I, I'm a drummer, too, so I'm going to pull out some drumming names. You know, Buddy Rich, uh, Neil Pert, you know, Joey Jordison, and they, none of them were great the first time they picked up sticks. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes reps. Like the speed at which I can work now is breakneck pace compared to the speed at which I could work my first time doing both shows by myself. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, so that, so it was something that was daunting at the time, but it's one of those things where you have to take a gamble on yourself. Right. And those gambles kind of have to be calculated because it is reaching air for, for thousands and thousands of people. Right. And it's something where, you know, if you, if you fall flat on your face enough, you know, conversations kind of start to be had. So it's like calculated risks, but risks that you kind of have to take on yourself to kind of prove to yourself, okay, I can do this. I can handle this. And that, and that was, and that was one of those ledge moments. But, um, but back to teaching, uh, I've learned so much, so much from both of them. You know what I mean? Day one and day two was, uh, was, you know, paperwork and orientation to the editing systems and where we store all of our footage and stuff like that. But then day three was, hey, you and Beauvais are going to go to Sabre's uh, rookie dev camp. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then day four, hey, 
You can go to Def Camp by yourself now, right? Now that you've seen Bovee do it for a day. So that was something that was, that kind of felt a little bit a little bit thrown to the deep end. But just that first day with Bovee, um, I, I think with him, one of the biggest things that I've gotten is uh, is is like shooting games and like filming sports because it's obviously everything's off the shoulder, and I knew that. But the depth of field when you're kind of getting a wider angle, like for a game, like I would do in college versus you know trying to get like in tight ISOs of guys who are skating around at like 20 miles an hour is, is completely different. So that was a big learning process that I had to go through uh, with him. And then with Jenna, it's just kind of been, um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned from her is just, you know, connections and, and stories, you know what I'm saying? And both of them are still cleaning up my writing a little bit because I'm green. Like you said, seven months in 22 years old, I sure. I don't have all the answers. I'm not even close to having all of the answers. Uh, I, I've learned a lot from both of them, but I think uh, from Matt, I would say the most has been, you know, kind of, you know, shooting and filming at, at field, at ice level, whatever whatever surface it may be. And with Jenna, it's been a little bit more writing, a little bit uh, feature storytelling. And, you know, I can tell, you know, from, from now compared to, you know, my first time anchoring, I can, I can kind of reverse engineer it and almost kind of see where each of them has influenced me and where and why, which is another kind of, kind of cool thing to experience. But I've been really, really grateful to, uh, to what I've gotten from both of them. And I probably don't tell them that enough. So I'm sure they know, trust me. I'm sure they know. What have your impressions been of Buffalo and Western New York as a whole? Now that you've been living there for a little bit, obviously you grew up in Erie, which is not far away at all. You went to school just a couple hours away. The weather's, not a big factor for you. You're very used to that. And even the climate and just the area itself, you're very familiar with. You said it. You have a lot of family ties to Western New York. But now that you're actually living there, what have been your early impressions? It's a see, I don't I don't I don't want to say blue collar because I'm I'm I am i am not sure if that's what fits the build. It's it strikes me as a as a very down to earth and hardworking community and area for the for the size that it is. You know what I mean? Like, 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 like the work ethic from person to person here and the friendliness from person to person here is something that you would expect of somewhere smaller than, than Buffalo and all and the entire surrounding area. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, so, so that, so that was something that, um, that has been a pleasant surprise. Um, you know, I, I, I really like my place, you know, my location, like every, everything here as I'm sitting at my, at my kitchen table right now, talking to you has been, excuse me, has been great in that department. Um, but also dude, the food, like everywhere, everywhere you turn there, there is a, there is a different restaurant. There is, uh, wings out the wazoo. There are good burger places, you know, Ted's <laughs> hot dogs, right? Yes. Steak out, you know, late at night into the early morning, like, now I'm surprised I haven't put on 20 pounds since I moved here because it seems like everywhere I turn, it's just, you know, there's, there's, there's somewhere new to try in, in that regard, uh, which is, which is also something that's amazing, but because of the kind of wacky hours of nights and weekends that kind of comes with sports and stuff like that, I don't, I don't get out to a ton of them, which isn't necessarily a bad thing for the waistline, but, uh, I, I feel like I've just, scratch the surface in terms of you know food discovery in uh in western new york now oh. obviously i don't get down to you know 
well, outside of work, I frankly don't get to the North Towns or the South Towns a whole lot either, but I don't get down to the Southern Tier a whole lot either. Or what I've seen from there, too, uh, has been a lot more a lot more of the same energy. It's just, uh, it can just be a little bit dull of a drive, you know, getting there sometimes since the thruway runs right along the water. So it's got to be like a back road one way or another to kind of get down to where you want to go sometimes if you go into, say, uh, Jamestown, Bonaventure, somewhere like that. What but, part of uh, what part of Western New York have you settled into? Like, where are you living now? What part? So I'm in the Elmwood Village. Okay, I know so, very well. I grew up around there. Yeah, so, it, so it's, uh, and I'm in a studio apartment, just me, uh, but, but it's somewhere that's, you know, location-wise is a great, you know, just like straight shot from work. Uh, like, you know, Wegmans is like, I think a mile away. There's a Target that's like two miles away. Yeah. Uh, my gym is like two, three blocks away. Uh, and it's just something where, it, you know, it's it's right near downtown, but I feel like, you know, uh, right around North Street, right, is where it kind of opens up and Delaware becomes like a two-lane road. And, yep. you know, that's businesses, you know, kind of having just that three, four blocks, five blocks, right, of separation is really, really kind of helpful just in terms of, like, you know, getting around, getting the parking, stuff like that. But it's not so far removed that it's a schlep to get down to the downtown area to – you know, go to Canal Side on a day off, you know what I mean? Meet someone down on Chippewa for dinner, you know, stuff like that. So uh, I, I really like where I'm at. All right. So you mentioned food, obviously a very endearing part to Buffalo. Chicken wings specifically, very near and dear to my heart. Personally, I rave about them. Every time I get back to Buffalo, I'm literally going to a place every single day for wings. Now you're relatively new to living in Buffalo. And again, like you said, you've been very busy working wacky hours. So I'm sure you haven't had the opportunity to get out too much and hit too many places yet for wings. But of the places that you have been able to have, do you have one or two favorite spots? Uh, so the one that rises above the rest was a recommendation uh, from Beauvais. And it's, uh, it's Barville Tavern. Yeah. They're, they're honey butter barbecue. Yeah, very good. Yeah. They're elite. Yeah, that, that's, that's the best wing that I've had since I've, since I've gotten here and I still, yeah, like the wing tour is far from complete. I still haven't been to Duff's. I still haven't been to Elmo's, but, uh, right now Barbell Tavern sets the bar. As it should. It, that's like on the Mount Rushmore of wing spots in Western New York. And I'm sure over time you'll try many places, but you'll always go back to that place. Cause it's absolutely one of the best without question. Now, I don't want to really talk bills today because it's the off season and whether I'm talking to you or Matt or Jen or anyone else, the sentiment's pretty much going to be the same. Very hopeful going into the off season. It was a 10, 10 win team that made the playoffs and we'll wait and see. But right now with what's going on with the Sabres as somebody, and I'm talking about yourself, who's covering sports and more specifically helping out covering that team. And I know you don't have other past seasons to go by, when it comes to the organization, but what you're seeing right now, more specifically for an example, on Tuesday night's game against Colorado, that was an embarrassment. This organization, it seems to me, and again, I know that you can't go back to previous years because you weren't covering the team at the time, but does it just feel really destitute right now with these fans and the way they feel about this organization? Because it's one thing to not win hockey games, but the way they're losing and it seems like a kind of a crappy, if almost non-existent relationship between ownership all the way down to the fans. 
has fans very frustrated. I'm sure you know about Dwayne, the WGR call that was all over the place last week, the song parody. In fact, I just had her on my last podcast, the girl who wrote that Jason Bottrell parody that went viral on YouTube. But just the overall relationship right now, fans are really frustrated with this hockey team, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they are. And, you know, the, the moves that were being made right around when I got here, right? You know, when I kind of stopped in just to kind of shadow uh, for the day, that was when Jeff Skinner inked his extension. Right. You know what I'm saying? And then you go out, you get Marcus Johansson. You know what I mean? You trade for Jimmy VC. You trade for Colin Miller. Colin Miller isn't even playing half the time. <laughs> so, it's, yeah. so it's something where they were, they were making moves to kind of prime themselves to finally, you know, and, and maybe starting to turn that corner doesn't necessarily equal playoffs, but they were priming themselves to finally start, start to turn that corner. And in October, it, it, it looked like that was what you were going to get. But, you know, history might have repeated itself with the same hot start and then falling off. And even in, in early November and mid-November, you had the Sweden series, right? You know, throws them out of whack. Maybe they're jet lagged. Not time to hit the panic button yet. Um, and I think the fact that the panic button, you know, really was kind of hit by Dwayne right on that call on WGR. Yeah. And then you go out, you lose 6-1 to one to Colorado. Who, mind you, that line of with with McKinnon and Ronson and right that is probably I would say definitely top five maybe top three uh firepower line in terms of a single line in the NHL um I so I wouldn't have necessarily said that there would be shame in losing the Colorado if it was you know four to two with an empty netter you know maybe we'd be having a little bit of a different conversation but to just get dominated like that top to bottom. I just, I, and I'm not gonna, I'm not in a position to really comment on the relationship from the Pagulas to JB down to Ralph Kruger, because you know, that's, that that's internal. I don't, I don't know. I can't speculate on it. What I can see is very apparent is, you know, you, you look at what Sam Reinhardt is saying, calling out players, you know, Jake McCabe saying, Oh yeah, we have to, you know, tune you guys out, right. The media, we have to tune you guys out to, get the ship right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, we were, we were told to, and I said ship with a P. Um, <laughs> you could have said it with a T man. Trust me. You're good. But yeah. Uh, but, it, but you know, you have all these you know, different answers, you know what I mean? And, and you can point to the injury bug to obviously, you know, missing Darlene, you know, Curtis Lazar surprisingly has kind of developed into someone who's, you know, a viable option who goes out there in pretty big situations. And, you know, he does the little things right, but the offensive production certainly isn't there with him. The offensive production isn't there for anybody that's not playing with Jack Eichel consistently, which really is, I think, you know, a part of, a, a part of the problem because, you know, growing up in Erie, Pennsylvania, you know, the person that even though I didn't, right, you know, I, grew, I was watching Henrik Lundqvist every night. Uh, the person that a lot of my friends watched was Sidney Crosby. You know what I mean? And that's someone who, you know, larger than life, put anybody on that line and they become better. Jack Eichel has that same type of playmaking potential. So I think a solution that might be worth exploring is to, you know, put some more of the big name firepower who can score on their own, right? Like Jeff Skinner and Sam Reinhardt together and let Jack Eichel elevate the games of, of, of somebody else, 
Uh, and I think at forward, you know, that would, you know, kind of be just one of my solutions because no matter what, Jack's going to get his points. You know what I'm saying? It's just a matter of who he's getting them with and, and, and what else connects. Um, right. The other thing, and I would, and I would focus on this a lot just because I thought it was such an abnormality to go with 11 and seven over and over and over again. Oh yeah. That is obviously you want, like you want to run it in, you know, November, you have a couple injuries, you have some extra defensemen coming back healthy. You want to figure out your lines. Sure. Do it for three or four games. It's, it's become an every night thing. You know what I mean? And the bottom six isn't even a bottom six, the bottom five. You know what I mean? The bottom five forwards are just a rotating door. So that was something that I kind of referred to as no man's land where you're the, where you're the forward who has a defenseman listed as his wing, which means, yeah, you're probably only going to get like 12, maybe 13, 14 minutes of ice time, uh, which is just something that just, yeah, I don't know. It's frustrating. Uh, it's, it's, Listen, Adam, it's so frustrating. Everybody can try to play armchair GM, uh, but especially now with the direction that this season has headed, the energy in that room, right, after practice, after a game, whatever it may be, is such a stark contrast from the Bills who have turned that corner, who are going in the right direction. You know, I don't don't really know where where it starts necessarily. I think maybe going 12 and 6, Getting uh, twelve and six, obviously, in terms of forwards, defense, and a record, I don't think anyone complained about either. We're going with a traditional twelve forwards, six D lineup. You know, get some guys back in the lineup from injury, and you know, maybe you can kind of sputter to like tenth, yeah, in the in the East, and it's and and, and hope is not lost. Well, I'll tell you, it's just so frustrating. You look at a team like the Bills, and even in 2018, when they only won six games, they had a lot of young talent. Guys like Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds, Tredavious White was still coming into his own a little bit. Lots of young players on the team. You felt good about their future. The thing with the Sabres is it's hard to feel good about the future because a lot of these guys who are underachieving that Jason Bottrell pointed out earlier this week, I realistically don't see him doing much more. Guys like Connor Sherry and Jim, Jimmy VC and Marcus Johansson. I don't, they're not, it's not like these kids are 22, 23 years old. And we're talking 26, 27 or older guys like Johansson and Zegmas Gergeson. They've been around for a long time and it's just, I feel like they are what they are at this point. So you look at the roster and you're like, this is going to need another overhaul. Who knows if Jason Bottrell is going to be back. I'm sure the end of the season will, uh, will determine that, at least to some extent. I don't think Pagula's made up his mind. I mean, maybe he has, but I'm guessing here. I would think that if they continue to play this bad and relations are this bad, then maybe they make that move at GM. I had one more question for you, by the way, before we wrap up with the mini lightning round. Now, obviously, covering the Buffalo Bills, covering the Sabres, brings you more notoriety, and I'm sure it's fun to be at an NFL stadium or an NHL arena covering a game. But is there a part of you that still really enjoys covering high school and college sports? Because there's a, there's a, a, in a way that's a little more pure. You know, a lot of these high school athletes, they love the coverage. They love talking to you. They love the media. Whereas professionals, it could be a lot different, especially when you're covering a team like the Sabres, frankly, that stink right now. And they really don't want nothing to do with the media. In fact, they blame you guys for the reason why they're playing like the hours there a party that still enjoys, do you still enjoy covering high school and college stuff too, when you get the opportunity? 
Oh, of course. And I think a part of the enjoyment of it now is that, you know, there was really nowhere that I was going to do it before. You know what I mean? That right. was something that I would, that as I was going through the job search process, you know, 10, 11 months ago, right? That was something where I thought that that was going to be my, my entire reality. So the kind of the dichotomy of, you know, your story is Sabres practice for the day or Bill's practice for the day, or your story is these two brothers, right, who are, you know, on Buff State soccer and they came over from Kenya and the little brother had malaria, right? Or, hey, here's this Damon grad transfer who wants to go into coaching and he's the elder statesman of the volleyball team by like two or three years. So how does he balance wanting to go into coaching and being the elder of the group, right, with actually being there? So, like, those those types of things I still like to go out and get. I still like to go out and do because, because it is – I think purity is a good word for it. Um, but I, but I think the other thing is that, you know, when the Bills play, when the Sabres play, even I would say at this point of the year, UB men's basketball, right? When, when, when they play, that is kind of what drives our conversation for the night, right? Right. But when they're off, right? And, you know, sometimes you get out to practice, sometimes you don't. Bills practice is a lot more lot more of a regularity, I think, for us, or at least that's kind of how it feels uh, compared to compared to Sabres practice. But when they're not playing a game, you know, it almost kind of feels like a fallback in a way to just, you know, sit and talk Bills and Sabres and, you know, stay in the studio all night, right? Instead of, you know, you go out and you get, you know, Canisius RIT hockey. Or you go over to Northtown Center and you get, you know, the Will East, Will North hockey game. You know what I'm saying? Or go out and get a couple of high school basketball games. You know what I mean? I Rewarding to still get to go out and do those types of things and kind of bring those types of stories there because those, those highlights, right, kind of start to open the door for a really, really neat story to be told. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and you're not gonna find it if you're just you know sitting around talking Bill Sabers UB seven days a week. Yeah, in my opinion. Oh, you're right. Uh, so it's so it's so it's something that I was ready to do, and I'm glad that I get to do here because it's not something that I really you know experienced elsewhere before. Uh, growing up, not growing up, going to college in Syracuse, right? Is Syracuse football, then Syracuse basketball, then Syracuse lacrosse, and everybody goes home for the summer. Rinse, recycle, repeat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So to get to go out and cover those types of things and do those types of things uh, is something that's that's really fun for me because I think partially it wasn't something I really had a chance to do for a couple of years before I got to a market with an NFL team, with an NHL team, with a Division One college team. Well, I'll tell you what. One more thing. Hopefully it's fun for you to do. We got to end with the mini lightning round. And what I'm going to do is ask you just uh, – Handful of random, like, human interest style questions, like rapid fire style. Not a lot of deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that'll be your answer. Now, most of these are kind of the same questions that I ask all the sports media guests. So, you good to go? You ready? Yeah. All right. Favorite all-time athlete? All-time athlete. I'm trying to think of jerseys that I have. AJ Green. AJ Green? Okay. Yeah. Now, this question might be a little unfair because you're still young and just getting started in the business, but Favorite city that you have visited? 
Winston-Salem, North Carolina to cover the uh, Syracuse-Wake Forest football game my senior year. That was a really, really fun weekend and a fun trip. Okay. Actually, no, I take that back. Charlottesville, Virginia, I've been there twice to cover two different games. Sorry. Charlottesville, Virginia, final answer. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's continue on here. Who was your first celebrity crush? Charlotte Johansson. She's not my, my first, but she's certainly my current. So I'll concur with you there. <laughs> what is your, all right. So you're in your studio apartment in, in the Elmwood village. What's your like go-to snack late at night? Uh, I have a carton of extra cheddar goldfish. Okay. Name and a movie, name a movie that you probably have rewatched in your lifetime more than any other one. Like a movie you watch a ton. Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. Okay. Name a TV game show that if you were on it, you could potentially dominate, whether it's a current game show or a past one, a show that you think you could do well on. Family Feud. I already have my entire family's lineup ready to go. Okay. (laughs) Last couple here. Instead of doing this podcast interview right now via phone, let's just say we're hanging out at one of the bars on the village. And that night they got karaoke coming on. I know you drum in this world. You're an absolutely amazing singer as well, okay? So you're going to get up. You're going to grab the mic. What song are you going to sing that's going to get the crowd there that's watching you singing along and, and fired up to see you on stage? Like, what would be, if you don't have one, your signature karaoke song, at least in your own mind anyway? Oh, no. How eclectic can I get with this? My music taste is a, is a little, you know, off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. Probably something by Blink-182. What's my age again is really fun. Okay. All right. So if you had never gotten involved in sports journalism, now going back to the beginning of the interview, you talked about pretty much you knew at a very young age that this is the avenue that you wanted to pursue. But let's just say when you became a teenager, you didn't want to do it anymore. or Your parents talked you out of it for whatever reason. And even at 22 years old, you were going to get involved in another profession. If it wasn't going to be sports journalism, what do you think would be something that you might want to do with your life? Music. Music? I write music, yeah. And, you know, I wish I could drum way more, but in my studio apartment, it's, it's not an option. Drum set's still in my parents' basement in Erie, so definitely, definitely music and songwriting and production and stuff like that. This isn't one of the rapid-fire questions, but I do want to ask you, when did you start drumming? What made you want to start drumming? Uh, yeah. Well, my dad drummed, um, so the, so the rhythm was, uh, was kind of always there. My mom tells the story. I think she was at a Phil Collins concert when she was pretty far along in her pregnancy with my dad. And, uh, evidently I was kicking along on beat for most of the night. (laughs) Um, so something that my parents always knew was kind of in there. It started actually with a rock band drum set and I was just toasting like the hardest Metallica dream theater songs on expert on rock band drums. And I was like, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm in percussion, like in school band to get out of like fourth grade math. Um, let's, 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 let's get the real thing. So my parents were like, nah, we don't know. Why don't we donate a really cheap one to the synagogue? And then after uh Geshe on the weekends, you can, you know, play for like a half hour uh, then. And then if you're still taking it seriously for a little while, then we can talk about getting me one. And I said, okay, deal. Uh, so I, I distinctly remember this, and I apologize for the tangent, but uh, I distinctly remember, uh, you know, my dad coming to pick me up one day, you know, getting ready for NFL Sunday. We are probably going to pick up, you know, some pizza and wings and then uh, 
find a way to watch Eagles, Bills, and Bengals all at one time through uh, through double play and NFL Sunday ticket. Um, and, you know, rabbi answers the door and, you know, my dad looks at him and says, who's that on the drums? And the rabbi, and my rabbi goes, who do you think it is? And he goes, no, it's not Adam. And I was, and he was like, yeah, yeah, that's Adam. Son of a bitch. We have to buy him a drum set. He's <laughs> getting good at this. Um, so, and then, you know, he was like, oh, oh my God. I just swore in front of the rabbi, but he was like, no, it's fine. Like I would be annoyed to have this in my house too. Uh, so my parents matched, I think like an entire summer's worth of mowing the lawn going into sixth grade, uh, which was probably like 200, 225 bucks. So they matched that and I got like a percussion plus just regular five piece with a hi-hat and like one crash ride. And, you know, over time, you know, as you know, money started coming in a little bit more, you know, my bar mitzvah job, uh, stuff like that, uh, birthdays. Well, I would just add to it like piece by piece. So I still have that same like foundation of like the shells and the hi-hat stand, but I have all Zildjian symbols. I have like this little micro snare. I have it all, I have it all done up. I think I tweeted a couple pictures of, uh, of the, of the set as well. And then I was in bands like in middle school and in high school and stuff. Uh, I was first chair in my high school's jazz band for three years. Um, and then once I kind of went off to Syracuse and I didn't have drumming there, um, it, I, I kind of became rusty because, you know, it, it's like a sport, even it's like broadcasting too. You go away from it a little while, you're not quite as good uh, the next time you immediately jump back in. So I only, I only play in spurts with my headphones on in my basement now. But uh, through that and through being in little rock bands with my buddies from middle school and high school, I started picking up songwriting too, and I still write music like now. Uh, so, it, so that was an easy, easy go-to because – you know, even, you know, like my sophomore or junior year when I was really getting into, you know, music and songwriting and jamming with people, I was starting to think, nah, maybe I would want to lean music instead of sports broadcasting if I really had to pick between the two. But now I, I made the right call. <laughs> Who's your favorite Twitter follow? It could be a person or it could be an organization. But if you were only allowed one person to follow on Twitter or one handle, that's it. Who would it be? My one Twitter follow is in I only follow one person total or That's one it. person who Nope. You can only follow one person. You can have a billion followers, but you can only follow one Twitter handle. That's it. Twitter is gonna The Premier Lacrosse people. League. Who? The Premier Lacrosse League. The new oh, league okay. that started up. Okay. All right. I'm a complete through and through PLL junkie. And I know I would get a lot of stuff both within the realm of lacrosse and outside of it with just that one follow. Interesting. All right, last question here. The traditional question, you can have three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, celebrities, whoever it may be. Who would you have? Again, 22 years old, career's just starting. Maybe you want to interview a couple famous sports people from the, from the past, somebody current, doesn't matter. Music, whoever it could be, three people at your dinner table tonight. Have a couple beers, some eats. Who you got? Not to get all sentimental, but... Uh my grandpa just because uh he passed away when i was eight uh, sure. i don't have you know a ton of of memories of him necessarily and you know i was just about to turn the corner towards wanting to do sports broadcasting uh when when he died so to kind of be able to kind of you know fill him in get his spin on you know 
uh, on frankly a lot of things would be something that I would that I would love to have a chance to get to do. Um, I would say Scott Van Pelt as well. Okay. Um, pick his brain and also just for the kind of entertainment factor. And um, man, I get one more, huh? Yep, one more. Kobe. Kobe. Good one. Yeah. Um, and 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 this was something that I didn't really fully appreciate while he played, but just I, I I see so much that kind of aligns with you know kind of my self motivation and uh, and the mamba mentality that I that I think just kind of that element would would be really interesting to kind of pick his brain about as well because a lot of you know how he drove himself right and how he handled you know, his business and frankly, his entire life, uh, can apply to a lot more than just basketball. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right, everyone give Adam a follow on Twitter at Adam Unger underscore seven. Of course, check him out. Channel seven, Buffalo. Dude, you're doing really good, man. Career's off to a very good start. Thanks for doing the podcast. And I very much look forward to following your career, hopefully for many, many years to come. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for the kind words, too. Appreciate it. This was fun. All right, everyone, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again, Adam Unger, Channel 7, sports reporter in Buffalo. Tell you what, just 22 years old, literally just getting his professional career started. Fun to talk to him, get to know him a little bit. And he's a young man that I'm definitely going to be rooting for. I'll be tracking his career and hopefully he does really good things. Certainly off to a good start. So thank you again, Adam. Also want to thank today's show supporters. I'm talking about Audimute, Sounds Assured, and of course, 26 shirts. So before I get up out of here, I want to ask that if you have not yet done so already, please go ahead, subscribe to this podcast subscribe, rate and review, all that fun stuff. It really, really helps me continue to grow this podcast. You can subscribe, listen on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, pretty much everywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Also, go hit up the Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. I got podcast highlight clips from current and past shows up there, some original audio content as well, stuff that's exclusive to that channel, by the way. Not going to hear it anywhere else, including this podcast. Then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, prize pack giveaways from time to time, thoughts, banner with other sports fans. I mean, that's where I'm parked. I'm always on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Thanks again so much for listening. I say it all the time and I really truly mean it. I appreciate each and every single person out there, whether you love the podcast or whether you hate it, you're taking time from your day to give me a listen when there's like a gazillion other podcasts out there. Can't tell you how much that means to me. Very humble, very grateful. So thank you very much. Have a good one. And I'll be back. New episode real soon. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. 
And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.